Amen. So why don't you turn your Bibles or your phones to Matthew 22. Um, I just want to, I want to minister to you about um, engaging your heart with the scriptures, with the word of the Lord. So you'll hear us talk a lot about prayer, but we're particularly talking about, we're not anti-spontaneous prayers, but praying the Bible, praying the scriptures. But the scriptures need to be alive to you. And so in Matthew 22, what I want to do is just take a moment and show you how Jesus was connecting the disciples and even the religious order of that day's heart to, um, to, to the scriptures and why they were not engaging people. And so um, I, I think none of you are going to gain anything by feeling condemnation because you don't want to read your Bible. I've never talked to anybody said, I felt bad long enough, I really started reading. You know, I, I felt condemnation, and I'm terrible at it. I, no one's ever had victory there. What, what, what's got to happen is the Holy Spirit's got to touch your heart, make the Bible alive to you, and, and then when it becomes alive, there'll be, again, you'll move from ought to to want to as the Bible becomes living. I love telling my uh, babies, uh, when I, they're babies, they're 8 and 11, Josh and Pete, I'm teaching them how to pray the Bible. Like, we'll sit with Psalms 23 in the courtyard, and I don't know if I said this last week, and I'll have them pick a verse, and then they pray the verse, applying it to somebody, and they'll, they'll, they'll pray that over, over somebody's life. And so I'm trying to get them to read the Bible, but to apply the Bible and pray it, because when you pray it, it becomes very alive. But every time I'm with them, I spend a few moments bragging on the Bible, just like this is the most amazing, this is an etern- a book that contains the eternal words of God. It's, um, it, it's blood-bought. Uh, the blood of Jesus obviously talked about, but people died so you and I would have this. They were burnt at the stake. They were beaten. They were, I mean, the, the Catholic Church in, in before Reformation is trying to keep it. That's not the same Catholic Church we have today, but, you know, they don't want the Bible in the hands of people. And so John Wycliffe's and John Huss's, I'll tell them, these men literally were burnt at the stake in their bodies because these words were so important. And then when these words were unleashed to the common people, it led to revolutions and transformations and revivals. And so I, I'll take some time and brag about the Bible. Not like, you ought to be reading the Bible. I don't know any kid that's ever been motivated by that. You need parents to brag about the Bible. It's going to be tough, obviously, to brag about the Bible if you're not enthralled with the Bible. And no ought to is really going to move your heart or your children's heart. So... What I want to do is for you to dive in with me. I don't want to give you information right now. I want you to watch with eyes of the Spirit how Jesus interacted with the Scriptures from the Old Testament and how he talked to the religious leaders about it. He does this a couple, three times in, in, in Matthew 22, right at the end, before he's going to be crucified. He's within the week of when it's going to happen. Twenty-one, Chapter 21 was the triumphant entry. So he's having his last engagements with the religious order. In verse 23, if you'll join me, of Matthew 22, it says, The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a, they asked him, um, a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. That's a Bible verse, okay? That's a scripture. They, they were reading scripture. But it wasn't alive, and they weren't seeing it by the Spirit, as you know and will see. So now there were seven brothers. They make up the scenario among us. The first married and died and had no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second, the third, and then to the seventh. So this woman marries all seven, Jesus. 
and you're, the Bible says that he's got to keep marrying. So if there is this resurrection you talk about, whose wife will she be? And so I just want you to pay attention. They're using Bible. I think it's in Leviticus that gives this marry the, the bro, you know, the, the, bro, the brother should marry if the brother dies, the wife, if there's no children to carry on the name. And then they had taken this crazy scenario to try to trap Jesus about their in, within their belief that there is no resurrection from the dead. Now watch Jesus interact with them. Verse 29, but Jesus answered them. This is a key verse. You are wrong or you're in error or you're misguided because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. This is the core of your problem, the error and deception that you're walking in right now because you're way off. Your attitude's off. You're trying to trap me. You have no clue about the resurrection that's even prophesied in the Old Testament. And I'm going to tell you why you're in error. It's because you don't know or perceive or discern the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, this is a reality, they'll neither marry nor be given to marriage, but are like angels in heaven. That's what it is. So your scenario is ridiculous because there'll be no marriage. There's going to be a transformational thing happen to humans who will live forever in a resurrection body. That's not our point tonight. 31. And this is for the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read what is said to you by God? Verse 32, which is a quote out of Exodus 3.6. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not, Yahweh the Father, is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, what, what, do I, what I want to point out to you, and this is very practical because I want to encourage you to do this. I think we all need to slow down reading our Bibles. We need to slow down. Now, we're trying to get you to read 14 chapters in an hour. That seems a little weird that I'm saying that. But when you are having your daily diet, I hope you're going slow enough to ask questions in a spirit of prayer about the verse that you're reading. Looking at phrases and going, seven horns on Jesus the Lamb, what in the world is that? And then you'll ask the Holy Spirit and you'll give yourself to study. Seven eyes, the seven spirits of God. That you'll take those phrases, let them marinate on your heart, soak in your heart, and then dive in and ask for Holy Spirit revelation. They were obviously not doing that. They're living by the law. They're living to, with a gotcha. They're living in arguing with the Pharisees who did believe in a resurrection and were seen as the liberal ones. The Sadducees, Sadducees thought they were the conservative group. And... They are obviously caught up in a religious view of the scriptures. I hope you're not there. I hope you're not looking for the do's and the don'ts because there's way more in there. There are some do's and some don'ts and some obedience. But the spirit of the scriptures is dynamic. I'm telling you from Genesis to Revelations. They're alive and dynamic and active and living. And the Holy Spirit wants to use these to be your primary prophetic word. We believe in prophetic current words right now. We believe the Bible tells us that we should be doing that. But the primary voice of the Holy Spirit in your life will come through, I believe, the apostolic and prophetic revelation of the eternal word of God. This is the absolute truth. This is unbiased, if you will. The other stuff I get, I know in part, I see in part, and it's, it can be biased a bit. I still step out in it. I want it tested. But when I get scripture and I get logged into it, it's a powerful bullseye accuracy kind of thing. So Jesus says, back to 29, you're wrong because you neither, and the word here, know, 
is a word that's used hundreds of times, and it means to discern or see. To, to, you're not seeing the scriptures. You're not really, that's what he's saying to him. You, you've read the scriptures, but you're not seeing deep in what God's really trying to say, what his heart is in this thing. So he's saying you're missing that view, and you're not seeing the power of God. You're not discerning the power of God. You're talking about human wisdom. Like, this is ridiculous. People die. We bury them. A guy, a woman marries seven brothers. All you're doing is thinking within the power of man. But you can't understand this Bible without supernatural help. You need supernatural help and the power of God. You've got to discern that and see that. So that's what Jesus does right here. He gives us a model of how this happens. After his statement that people won't be married in the resurrection, he'll say, let me lift up for you Exodus 3.6. And if you go there, that's where Moses had the burning bush experience. Remember, he sees a bush burning. It's not being consumed. Then the angel of the Lord, and then it's the Lord is speaking to him. Take your shoes off. It's this holy moment. And then the Lord himself says, I am the God of your father and of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus quotes that to them in verse 32. What does this prove? Well, it proves this. If you'll look and see the scripture, he didn't say to Moses, who's hundreds of years past, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He'll say, I am. I am. And that's obviously a play on the present, who he is. I am the, he's the great I am. But Jesus is saying, if you'll pay attention, it's unbelievable how many things they miss because they don't notice the tense of the verb. They don't see the direction of the sentence that's going on that's clearly revealing this. So Jesus goes, look, God's saying, I am, to Moses, hundreds of years after the funeral of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying, I am right now, right now, Yahweh, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meaning I'm presently being Yahweh over them. They're alive. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying to Moses. These three fathers in the faith are alive right now. They're not in body right now, but I'm telling you they're alive. And we obviously see this in Scripture. Samuel is called back from the dead after a funeral and he's dead. He comes back. He's clearly consciously alive. And the Bible was talking about that. But the Sadducees couldn't see it because they weren't looking deep into the Scripture taking their time, seeing the spirit of it, and letting the power of God be the lens through which they would look at that. So I'm asking if you're doing that. I'm asking if you're reading with the perception of the power of God and the scriptures and what he's doing. Jesus teaches them. I wonder who went. If there was any Sadducees who went, oh, my gosh, I've never noticed that. I've never noticed it wasn't I was. It's I am to a guy that's post the funerals of these three guys. That stuff, I'm telling you, is all over the Bible. If we'll slow down, let the Holy Spirit be our teacher, we'll begin to unpack things you never would have thought there. I'm telling you, there's layers and layers in every passage of depth of revelation. And you don't have to be a teacher to enjoy that. You just have to be a son or daughter of the living God. The next section, verse 34, let me just show you a couple more of these to prime your heart to go do this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. And you'll remember it. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, 
you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. So what did Jesus just tell them to do? Did he just tell them, in all your obedience, focus on these two things, loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbors yourself? Yes, but he said more than that because the word shall. Now, I don't know if you have an NIV. You may have will. You got other verbs. It's, it's the word you shall love. The, there's something in there, guys. This is not only a commandment. It's a prophecy. It's a prophecy of what God's going to do with his covenant people. And how do I know that? Well, the tense of the verb, you shall do this, not you should, you shall, you will be lovers of me when you're in my covenant people. And, and I know this because if you go to Isaiah 30, um, in De- or I'm sorry, in Deuteronomy 30, there's a scripture here. That that command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, which is in, I think, Deuteronomy 6 or 8. In Deuteronomy 30, when God's talking about what he's going to do for his people, listen. In verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will or shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Listen, almost all of us are wiggling under the circumcision. The circumcision of the Spirit and the work of the cross is carving and working on our hearts because God's more committed to you loving him with all your heart than you are. And what he's giving is a promise there when he's talking to the Pharisees that's out of Deuteronomy 30, I'm going to fulfill this. I'm going to work in your life. I'm going to allow trouble. I'm going to allow trial. I'm going to bring revelation. I'm going to bring certain human beings into your life. And what they're going to do is they're going to begin to prepare your heart. They're going to be instruments to release your heart to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Who wants to obey that command? Amen? I'm telling you, God wants you to, and he's not just dropping it down on a tablet from heaven and setting back to wait to see if you'll do it. He said it, and he's committed to fulfilling it within your life. I will. I'm telling you. I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yes, because I want it, but mostly because Yahweh's committed to it in my life. Isn't that good news? I shall love him. I shall love my neighbor that I'm struggling with and scared of, you know, The Lord, I'm committed to doing this in your life in the grace of God. And that's what I can take from these passages where I begin to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit said and what the Lord has said in the past. There's another one down just real quick, verse 41. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. And he starts the Bible study. What do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? Because he'd overheard them all talking about He was the son of David. So they said to him, he's the son of David. That's who the Messiah is. He's in the line of David, and he'll be under David. And so Jesus says to them, how is it then that David, in the Holy Spirit, in Psalms 110, by the way, says to them, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how in the world can he be his son? The son of a man, he said, he said, I'm more than that, I'm God. He's saying it was, it was encoded in Psalms 110. If you would have slowed down, what David said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, I said 
look at it right there. The Lord said to my Lord. That means Yahweh, the ancient one, the Father, said to the Son, the Christ, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. So he's saying right there he's saying the Messiah is going to transcend David. Yeah, he'll have the genetic line, and we can look through the genealogy, but he'll be more than that. And so we can celebrate that he's God and man. And so what I wanted to show you through this is I want you to take your time with your Bible. I want you to snuggle up to your Bible with your heart. I want you to break off the brutal, law-based ought to, I need to read my Bible. I bet before I preach a sermon, if I ask everybody in here that thinks they ought to read their Bible more, raise your hand. You all in condemnation would have thrown, it, yeah. And I get it. I get it. You think you should. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit in you is the author of the Bible, and you actually want to more than you know. It's just that your want to is being snuffed out by some religious spirit and some worldly spirit. The devil has a vested interest in you not engaging with your Bible. He wants you to be biblically illiterate or wants you to go, I'm not good at reading. I've heard that one so many times. I'm not a good reader. Well, I'm like, read the book of John because it's simple and read slow. God so loved the world that he gave, gave the world his only begotten, manifested out of him son. That, that sentence alone, you could, you could marinate on that for a week or two. Just every little phrase and word, it doesn't take big bites. I'm a, I'm a big chapter checker and reader. I read a ton of chapters every day because that's just my call. But in the middle of that, I re-go over all the places I highlighted are marked with my mind, and I slowly begin to meditate that word and ask for the Holy Spirit to give me inspiration, speaking to me and taking me deep in those things, asking the Father questions. Why is that phrase there? Why did you put that there? Enlighten my heart. Make my heart alive understanding the scriptures. And I want to say this. Some of you may think, well, you do that, Sam, and you're so excited because you're a teacher. That's really not true. I don't think that's a primary gift of mine. I think I'm more of a leader and a prophetic guy. But I love my Bible. I love my Bible because it's the ordained, anointed words of God. And I'm not going to settle for I'm a little bored, I'm a little distracted, I'm a little busy. I want to take these words that are going to last forever and inject them in my heart with the promise that they will not return void. And I want to break through the boredom, break through the doldrum, go deep and not make the error. The body of Christ is in massive error. And we think it's about free will, sovereignty, this or that. I'm telling you, the error is coming from Jesus' perspective that we don't see the scriptures and discern them, and we don't see the power of God. When you believe the power of God, everything's possible. The Spirit's there with you, enlivening the scriptures so that you can move forward in the power of God. Does this make sense to everybody? So what I want you to do, if you would, everybody go to Revelations 5. Open your Bibles really quick. Open your Bibles really quick. You ready? Now, what I'd like you to do, and just we're going to have an awkward moment for a couple, a couple minutes. I want you to slowly read through there. And when you re read slow, when you reach a phrase that either lights your heart up, you go, 
oh, that's a good one. Now, we know all the Bible's good. I give you that, okay? But we're doing an exercise here. When you reach a phrase or word that go, you feel that, or a question, I have no clue what that means. I want you to stand up. Now, don't start yet. Don't start reading. But when you reach, and this is not a race for who's the fastest to get inspired, I just want to make a point. Read slowly. This is the divine word of God. John saw heaven actively, okay? Read slow, and I want you to stand up when you get, oh, my gosh, that piece right there. That touched me. Or you have a major question. Okay, ready, set, go. Slow, slow, slower. Soak it. Reach a part that makes your heart. There you go. You're standing up now. You, oh. Or, uh, I have no clue. Either one. The uh or the ug. But relate with your Bible right now. Look, look, look. Keep going, keep going. going to do anything goofy to you when you stand up. Just keep reading to, and stand up when you see something. Maybe you're going to get all the way through and go, I understand everything in there in the divine mysteries of God in heaven, and nothing on it burned my heart. Maybe. It's hard for me to believe. The rest of you are reading slower. You're slow and you're getting there. And just ask a couple people, what was, what was the phrase? It was written on both sides of the scroll. That was, but what does that mean? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> what does it mean that, yeah, it's written on both sides of the scroll? That's worth taking some time. That's the scroll in the hand of Yahweh to end the earth. The plan for Jesus. What? And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Oh, yeah? Show me, Lord, what's the fullness of that? And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Who wants that video? Honestly, that lamb approaches the throne with fire and power and lightning and takes the scroll. I mean, heaven freaks out when that happens. That's a moment. Um, so I... So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. And that just stands out that the abyss before him. Yeah. Weeping in heaven. It's unbelievable. With your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Question or a? That's an ah. Everybody. You. <laughs> Mine was the two sides. That's a good one. I thought you'd like it. That's a good one. You get that answer, Lynn. Mine was the two sides. Two sides. Who's all the two sides on the scroll? Raise your hand. Okay. We're going to have a group meeting. The two-side club. Just let me do a couple others. My nephew. Um, the 
seven horns, seven eyes, and the seven spirits of God. No. <laughs> when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. That's a moment. Yeah. Is that an awe or awe? Ah. Ah. <laughs> because you were slaughtered for us, because you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. I wept and what? I wept and wept. Mm-hmm. Just that phrase. I mean, I relate, but um, just the hopelessness that is described in that, where is that coming from? So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for everyone's engagement, heart engagement with the Word of God. I pray you take us deep. Go ahead and seated. And I pray that you take us deeper in the Bible to savor, to soak, to have dialogue with you, to worship you. And to ask questions, Lord, I pray the Bible would take our prayer life to another level. It would inform it, stimulate it, and we'd be a people of the Word of God. Lord, deliver everyone in this room from slavery of ought in Jesus' name. The the condemnation and the junk that's on, I just pray. And I pray the Bible become delicious to them. Lord, tonight may it be a big piece of salt what happens in this room, making them thirsty to go drink the Bible, eat the Bible, to ingest it, make them like a bunch of ticks on a big fat dog, sucking all the blood. I'm sorry, I'm done, I'm done. In Jesus' name, sorry. But honestly, wouldn't it be nice to have some aggressive, (gasps) I'm getting it, not because I ought, because my heart is being lifted and I'm being repaired in my thinking. Amen. So there you go. Go see it. Pray. Pray. This last pray. Matthew 22, 29. Lord, let me see the scriptures and discern them. Let me see the power of God. And may I then go get out of error. Get out of the life of error that, that comes with that. So, Father, I pray right now, just these last few moments we have together. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, teach us and train us.